The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Welcome to A Guided Life Podcast, where we talk about all things spirit and life. I'm your host, Laura West. Through a mix of solo and interview episodes, I want to showcase all the different ways the spirit world helps guide our daily lives, whether it's through intuition, signs, mediumship, channeling, the mystical, or the paranormal. Our altruistic spirit guides and other members of our loving soul team are always there, ready, able, and willing to guide us. My guest today is Audrey Kral. Audrey is a spontaneous abstract painter and a dancer who loves to improvise and has performed with modern dance companies in the San Francisco and St. Louis areas. She loves inspiring others by living a playful and aware life guided by being open, authentic, and vulnerable. Hi, Audrey. Thanks so much for being here today. Hi, Laura. It's wonderful. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh, absolutely. I am so excited to talk with you because I love your paintings. So I was hoping that we can get into your process about that. But before we do, I first want to ask you, how has spirit guided your life? Yeah, I think it's taken a lot of different forms and it's formless, but it shows up. When I was small, I lived on a farm and I could just hear the plants and the water and the elementals. And I was very connected to everything that I feel is spirit. And my imagination, I think, comes from connection to spirit, always feeding me inspirations. And it's hard to even describe. I just feel totally guided in the imagery that comes to me and how to play. It just is a playful river of love that flows through. Oh, I love it. That's so fantastic. And I mean, sometimes there just really aren't words to describe how spirit works in our lives and guides our lives with our limited human vocabulary, Mm -hmm. because there's so much feeling to it. So I really love that. And that's why I think I'm so drawn to your paintings, because I feel like there's something in your paintings that captures what I can't find in my vocabulary to describe what spirit symbolizes or means or feels to me. But I feel like I will see your paintings and I will say, that's it. 
Mm. So I wanted to talk to you about your artwork and that process. But before we do, can we first talk about how you got into painting? What started you on that journey? Well, I was always having fun drawing when I was small. And there was something about looking at something and capturing the impression it made on me with lines and form or color. So there's like a receiving, receiving the visual, but it's more multidimensional than that. The receiving comes in and I want to capture it. So I started drawing and trying that way. And eventually, after I did a whole Master of Science degree and was very intellectual, I found that painting was a way for me to express the feelings that I was not really finding an outlet for. And then after school, a whole lot of different opening up began to happen. And part of that was drawing and painting and having no rules. I was a gymnast. There were always rules. I was a straight A student. There's a lot of compression, I would call it, <laughs> of my being. Not by anything other than the things that we take on the conditioned realm. And I wanted to get out of it. I wanted to feel open and free. So when I started to paint... I don't think I thought this, but spirit guided me, shall we say, <laughs> to just have fun, just express, even if it was ugly, even if it was gory and bloody and painful or whatever it was, just to keep letting it out. And that's how I started painting. Ooh, nice. So it's like an emotional outlet, which is fantastic. You mentioned a master's in science. What did you study? I started in computer science, but my master of science is in human nutrition. Oh, wow. How about that? I didn't know that you had a master's of science degree. I love that. So can we talk about now what your paintings have become? I wanted to dive into that and just learn more about the paintings that you do during this time. And I do want to share with people that there are links in the show notes for those who are interested to take a look at Audrey's paintings. And I believe some are for sale as well. They're all for sale. They're all for sale. Okay. So if anybody's interested, we'll have all the links in the show notes there. But if you could, Audrey, just talk us through the paintings that you do now. Yes. I think the process of not having any judgment or rules around what I was doing led me to eventually be able to connect what I was experiencing from a, I'm calling it a multidimensional realm because it's like all of the senses and the mind make a tapestry of formless images. They're not really images, but there's this translation that occurs. I think of it as channeling. I'm receiving something coming through and I use the skills that I've developed of how to use paint, how to use oil paint, which brushes to use all the technical aspects. I'm not thinking about that. And I'm actually not thinking about what I'm going to make. I just allow the energy to come through the paintbrush and me. There's a lot of movement that I do turning the paintings around. Also, to me, it's so fun to get a dry brush and just move the tiniest bit of paint. It's like barely perceptible, but I can feel it. So 
So it's looking and feeling and using my fine motor skills to create. It's so fun. <laughs> I love it. You mentioned that, and I, I read it in the intro, that you're a spontaneous abstract artist. Well, to me, that translates into an intuitive artist. Like you mentioned, you're channeling this. It's spontaneous. It's not pre-planned. It's whatever comes through. And you just move the brush however feels like you're being guided to do or whatever just feels really good to do. When you complete a piece, what is that like for you? Do you stand back and look at it and you're just like, wow. <laughs> I have had the experience of awe, I would say, usually coming upon the painting, having not looked at it for a day or two or some version of time where I'm in the process and stepping back and coming in, but mainly in some kind of process that's going on. And then I leave. And when I come back, sometimes I go, oh, oh. There's this light or something that I feel is coming from inside the painting. It's light reflecting off of the paint, literally and physically. But on another level, there's the formless realm, the beyond, the unconceivable is showing up there in the form of a light and how it's reacting with everything that's happened in the painting. What I love about it being abstract too is that it can be so personalized for whoever is looking at it and how they choose to interpret it. I know I've seen some of your paintings because I keep ranting and raving about them. And I swear that every time I see one of your paintings, I'm like, that's how I see my spirit guides in my mind's eye. Oh, that's how I envision what it would be like to see the light on the other side, like there's all these things that I take and interpret. And I'm like, she captured it. Like, it's just incredible. To me, your paintings are very other side, very multidimensional, like you said. And I think that's what's so fantastic about them. So I'm curious, what's some of the feedback that you receive from others who have looked at your paintings? What have they seen from them from their perspective? Mm, that's a great question. A lot of people will comment on how calm looking at it makes them feel sensations of serenity evoking emotion some other things are the visions that they see in them i'm not painting a thing but people interpret what is important to them a lot of them have a landscape like feel it's like oh that reminds me of this place and then there's some place that they're experiencing. Sometimes some people say, oh, that's stormy. And <laughs> I think it is interpreting the sensations for them. So I get a wide range of things, mainly in the realm of serene, peaceful, and evocative of emotions. Yeah. Oh, 100%. And I have seen some of your paintings where I'm like, oh, that looks like a misty, foggy landscape. Like I get United Kingdom vibes or something like that just really evokes those thoughts in me too. And I do know like the human brain is really good at filling in the blanks in images to make sense of it. So I know that also is part of us interpreting some of these images as well. So again, I really highly recommend that you guys check out Audrey's website, because these really are amazing, almost angelic. I do really get the sense of 
free flowing and the serenity and everything like that. This episode is brought to you by sax.com. At sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters and what do I even say other than hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed. So you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. So dance. I don't think I knew that you were a dancer. Can you talk about that? Yes. I have had many lifetimes already in this life. (laughs) (laughs) I've been busy. And after I was an international gymnast, I hurt my knee. And that was an opportunity Spirit was talking to me. And I really learned a lesson during a particular experience where I had so much fear that I didn't really want to do the routines I was intending to do in this competition. And at the very last warm-up event, I twisted my knee and I couldn't compete. I couldn't do anything for a long time. I don't think I got that right away, but later I understood how fear closes down our opportunities and closes down the vision, closes down the opportunity to go forward or go backward or say no. Opens up the options when the fear is let go of. So fear closed down the options and I recognized that I would call it the mechanism of that. That was so clear eventually and it was an important lesson. Eventually I got out of gymnastics and dance was a lot more friendly to my reconstructed knee. And there were a lot less rules. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Back in the, I guess it was the 80s, the music world was taken by David Byrne and Brian Eno and modern dance became even more expansive in its non-rule basis. And there was a lot of activism in the arts during that time. So I got involved in this group that would improvise for two hours every Saturday morning. Wow. And we would get random riddles, a little bit like Zen koans, like walk across the floor and drop your shoes at exactly the right spot. And everybody did that, like 20 of us. Wow. And it was an art piece (laughs) because of what happened. It was actually fascinating to me. And that's how I got into modern dance in the San Francisco Bay Area. Ellen Webb was the dance company. And that went on. We did some activist type things, really pushing the boundaries. People, I don't think, do this anymore. But we decided to have the Berkeley Public Library. And we were down on the floor and there were people watching from above. And we would come out naked and just stand there 
were moved so slowly that this thing called authentic movement, which is where you don't intend to move, you allow the movement to happen, Mm -hmm. which turns out being slow because you have to listen. So all of these things were metaphors for spiritual growth, including being naked and not feeling like an object, just like, oh, there's this art piece going on. And why are we naked? Because we are making a statement of pushing the boundaries of the public space and what's right and what's wrong and various things. So that started me off and I just kept going and dance. I loved it. Having been a gymnast, I had a lot of flexibility and strength and balance and all the things that were required for dancing. So that was a large part of my life for a long time. Wow, that's fantastic. And then you also got to dance in St. Louis. Was that with a different dance company? Yes, that was a different dance company. A friend of mine who was not a dancer at all and couldn't really dance very well. (laughs) I think he was encouraging me. There was this two-week heavy-duty dance workshop in Salt Lake City, Utah. And they were saying, well, we're going to do this thing and guys could join. And I'm thinking, oh no, that I can't do that. Before I even said that, he's like, well, I'm going. I was like, what? (laughs) Well, if you're going, I'm going. (laughs) We went and I did my first piece of choreography there. It was about time. It was really fun. And while we were there, a woman said to me, well, do you think you'll ever come to St. Louis? And my geography is terrible. I thought that was St. Paul and thinking like, oh, it's freezing cold there. I'm never going there. And I just said, never. (laughs) (laughs) Which was actually really rude. But she was like, oh, well, I want you to be co-director of my dance company. Oh my goodness. You can choreograph and you can borrow my car. And I have all these massage clients because I also did massage therapy. So there's like a healing river in the life. So I was like, okay, that sounds good. Yeah. (laughs) So I went to St. Louis, which I'd never been to St. Louis. And I had a very interesting time. It didn't last all that long. I came back to the Bay Area. But it was an opportunity to do a lot of choreography, to focus on dance, and to really understand what it takes to be a concert dancer, if you will. Got it. Yeah. So great experience, if anything. Good for your dance resume. It was good for my all-around person, for sure. (laughs) Oh, good. Yes. So you had mentioned this undercurrent of healing, this theme that's been in your life. And I know that you also lead these enlightenment-intensive retreats. So definitely this theme of healing in your life. Can you want to talk a little bit more about that? I'd love to. I didn't think, oh, I'm a healer, but I had, I guess, propensity towards having a big heart and that's always healing, whether you know you're doing it or not. (laughs) true. Then when I got into nutrition, it wasn't necessarily healing, but it was about health. And then I realized that I wasn't as interested in health as I was in something much more full bodied. So I went from Western medicine's viewpoint to Eastern medicine, Chinese medicine. I studied Tai Chi with a friend of mine from this ancient Chinese master in Oakland. And he taught me energy is everywhere. 
And the way he did it was say that we have to be able to know where our body is inside and out. And that was also a riddle. So I worked on it by observing. I was like, oh, I know what that means. I mean, I can feel my back. Actually, a lot of people don't know where their back is or whatnot. Yeah, yeah, we kind of take it for granted. (laughs) Right. So it was a tuning in, a tuning in of all the particles that are me and all the particles that seem like they're not me and recognizing somehow they are all the same. That came as a realization over and over eventually to a greater and greater degree. But the Chinese medicine, I decided I wanted to study acupuncture. I went to the Acupressure Institute first and got a massage degree in that. And that was my start in massage. But my craving for understanding led me to see that the Western medicine mind, which was highly tuned and conditioned in me, was having a hard time grappling with what seemed like a much more healing approach, a whole body approach to medicine. And I read this book, or I tried to read it. I can't say that I actually did. (laughs) (laughs) But the title is awesome. And I think of it as a metaphor for life. The web that has no weaver. Oh. And I was like, oh. That's thought-provoking. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So the river of healing went into the Eastern philosophy. And eventually I recognized... I didn't want to help people. That's not exactly what I mean. But what I understood was people need to find their own way. And that's the most healing thing that can happen. I have utter respect for all kinds of healers and transformers that I have been with and have gained wonderful respect for and healing from. And I've tried everything because I'm curious. (laughs) So that would be on pretty much every level there is. I have tried everything that I can think of that would be fun. And healing is fun. I just meant that my soul's journey is indirectly healing. By healing myself, by creating healing paintings, by living my life as expanded and aware and awake as possible in a continued journey that I don't ever reach the end, but the journey of it is in and of itself sure. the healing. I'm supposed to ask you, have you started writing your book yet? <laughs> I forgot about that. You know what? I have, I have probably hundred notes in my Apple and I've been moving them over to Google Docs and arranging it in some version of topics because what I want to write is a book like the web that has no weaver to recognize how intertwined everything is so much so that it is unity So it's unity looking at itself from different angles. Indra's net is in those notes, and Indra's net is some form of Buddhism, has a story about Indra, and each node of the web is an entire fully formed jewel. And 
all of them together are connected and the reflection in each one of them is in the infinity of all of them. And I love that. I have a bunch of pieces of art that are way beyond painting that I am putting out into the world, the universes, (laughs) to hopefully have them be made. I think of myself as the visionary, putting it out there for others to form it into something that is transformative and enlightening to hopefully many groups and thousands or billions of people. Yeah. Yeah. I love that idea of the web because if I ever try my best to explain what it's like when I say my life choices may affect you in some indirect way, which then affects someone else in some indirect way, which so how we're so intertwined. It's like a web. Like that's how I visualize it, but Mm -hmm. it's more than three dimensional. It's so much more than we can comprehend because there's just so much more going on. So I really like that. And then when you talked about the jewels, to me, I thought, okay, well, they're shiny and reflective. And you know, like when you have two mirrors side by side and it's like infinite bouncing back of their reflections, that's how I pictured it with the jewels as well. Just the colors are different, but gosh, it's such an interesting vision that that gave me and such a beautiful way to metaphorically try to explain something as complicated as the relationships that we have with each other, with all the humans and all the animals and the planet and just how everything, even like with spirit, we're all connected in so many different ways. So speaking of spirit, I want to talk about spirit guides. Mm -hmm. Can you share your thoughts about spirit guides? I have something more nebulous than spirit guides. I would say... And again, it's really hard to put in words, but there's an energy that is, I've heard it called source, but connection to my true nature, the being that I am is connection to spirit guides. Occasionally I'll get a color like this glowing orange presence And there's a big bear, (laughs) my cat and my dad who have passed. And then there's a very archetypal feminine presentation. Those are a couple that have been more in the form realm. Got it. Mostly the guidance I get is by tapping into my big being that we all have. Yeah. (laughs) I think that names are important to us as humans, but... It doesn't need a name, whatever it is. (laughs) And I have been toying with that idea of a more nebulous ball of energy that presents to us how we need at that time. And I've had discussions with my guide, Jason, about it as far as if he's separate from my other guides or are they all the same energy and he just presents as... Jason's energy when I need it and then goes back to this nebulous ball and then becomes someone else (laughs) for me, for my human form to relate and to comprehend and to accept that guidance. So I've definitely been given visions of that. And the fact that I even have that idea tells me that there is 
some truth to that, that my guides are attempting to show me because I do love to get into the technical stuff. Like, how do you work? Mm -hmm. Why do you work? Why do you do this? I mean, it's, it's the human side of my brain, the science side of my brain as well. So I like to also hear about the technical (laughs) stuff. So I find that that's fascinating. So an orange glow, like an aura, or you just see like a ball of light. What do you mean by that? Is it in your mind's eye? Oh, right. Yes. In my mind's eye, for sure. It's not even... Well, I guess when I thought of mind, I thought somewhere higher up. But it's like... Let me see if I can feel into it for a second. Yeah, it feels like denser than light, but it's full of light. Ah. Like some kind of light that we don't know that's denser than air. Sure. So it feels dense and bright and not bright that cuts, bright that fills. So it's full of light. And it's this beautiful orange-yellow color. But color would be almost too strong (laughs) to describe it because I don't actually see it. Even in my mind's eye, it doesn't feel like a shape. It feels like a presence. Got it. I've also heard that on the other side that there are colors that we don't have a name for Mm. (laughs) here as well. So like people who have had like a near-death experience or they had a hypnosis experience where they were taken to the other side, they try to explain what they're seeing. And I have heard of times where they said there's no name in our human dictionary to describe this color, but it's like a blue, but it's not a blue that we have, which is mind blowing, but I'm not surprised because we're so limited, right? Mm -hmm. In the light spectrum, what we can see, what we can hear. There's so much more that we just can't intake with our own senses being human. Yeah. That reminds me of an experience I had when I was in hypnosis. Let's hear it. We were in a house or something and I looked up and the entire ceiling was gone. And this very, very bright, indescribable hue of, I'm going to call it turquoise. It's really impossible to describe. I actually tried painting it, which probably didn't (laughs) work. It wasn't satisfying. And it was like a portal. And I heard overarching heart. So overarching heart is the spiritual heart that doesn't open or close. It's always open and it's total love, pure love. There is no opposite. It doesn't have a dual nature. It has a unified nature that accepts all. Every opposite, it's resolved. They don't exist anymore. So that was this vision of the overarching heart. And it had this otherworldly color a bit turquoisey. <laughs> right? <laughs> because it's iridescent. Oh. Yeah. Like multicolored or depending on the angle. Right. Oh, it's so interesting. It's not really sparkly, but it's like looking inside of light dewdrops or like a bubble. <laughs> yeah, you can see all the colors or they're happening at once and they're not really colors. They're wow. something else. That like blows my mind. That's amazing. <laughs> but I get it. Like when you describe it that way, I feel like I can understand the complexity of that color. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
because <laughs> I wouldn't know what to call that yeah. other than iridescent or multicolored, I suppose. Right. Well, it's interesting too that blues use because I know that beings on the other side, if they have a blue aura, that tends to represent a more advanced soul. And I heard about this from Dr. Michael Newton, who is a psychiatrist. He founded the Dr. Michael Newton Institute, where they do life between life hypnosis sessions. And I had one done by a certified practitioner. So whoever's interested can go back and hear that episode. I did share it. But he did a whole book about this, about all of the case studies and all these clients that came in. And he was atheist. And he was in it to help clients get over the anxiety, deal with the emotional things. And he accidentally stumbled across someone going into a past life, which then led to life between lives. And he was fascinated and he took it and ran with it because he got a lot of case studies from that. He wrote these amazing books. They are life-changing, Journey of Souls and Destiny of Souls, highly recommend. And in there, he does talk about these souls or <laughs> these clients who share about what they see when they're in between lives on the other side. So again, the technical stuff, which I'm like, oh, so interested in what they do, what it looks like, what are soul families? Why are they here? Why are they there? When do they incarnate? Da, 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 da. What is that process like? And then he'll talk about having them look down at their energy and what color are you and what does that mean? So from that, he learned that souls who are radiating more of a blue energy were a bit more advanced in their spiritual evolvement, I suppose. So blue to me is a very spiritual color. So the fact that that was part of your vision that you saw in your session, and it had to do with the overarching heart, which can be interpreted as soul, God, whatever, is just amazing. Like that just helps to validate that whatever blue color that was, turquoisey, <laughs> iridescent <laughs> blue color, that just to me fits in, okay, it's very spiritual. Yeah, I think maybe it's like if we see the colors of the rainbow as different and not in any kind of hierarchy, because when we mix them all together, it makes white light. So when I think of spiritual evolvement, I think of it as having learned more lessons and being freer from suffering because of learning those lessons. So it's not higher or better but the experience feels better. Yeah. I don't think, to be honest, there's one right answer to anything spiritual for the most part. I think it's all very limitless. So I never, I'm like, nope, that's, that's not, it's only this way. I'm always open to other people's experiences, especially when I know that they're really intuitive and tuned in and have been exploring and searching these ideas because I know that they are tuned into the other side and they're getting information. So I appreciate all of it. Definitely. So Audrey, before I wrap up this interview, was there anything else that you wanted to talk about today? Well, I'd love to introduce your listeners to Enlightenment Intensives. That's what I'm currently doing in the realm of that. Yeah. Yes. Let's talk about it. It's a technique, but it's so much more. <laughs> <laughs> Briefly, there was a man in the 60s who was doing a lot of self-empowerment work with people and came up with this communication dyad, which helped people clear through a lot of psychological or psychosocial things that were in their mind and in their emotions. And eventually, because he was such a a dedicated, devoted person to truth, he and his wife came up with this idea of, why don't we apply this 
to the questions of the spiritual tradition. For example, in Zen, there's who am I, what am I, basically who am I is the main one. Mm -hmm. So it's a riddle. There's no answer. And the technique helps people to directly access their true nature through a series of asking this question and communicating, but it's really the soup of contemplation where the person is dedicating their three days to contemplating on that question as an inquiry rather than on the answer. What he found by doing it for three days and following this particular technique was that so many more people had enlightenment than had been having with maybe 10 day silent retreats, all kinds of different things. So he fine tuned it, did a hundred or more of them. This was back in the day (laughs) and the tradition has been kept going. And I happened to do my first one almost 40 years ago. I was invited by a friend. He's like, oh, you know, I think you might want to do this. I think he was trying to help me out. This wasn't the same dancer guy, was it? (laughs) He was a dancer, but it was a different guy. (laughs) I've had a lot of spirit guides in form. (laughs) Yes, I love it. (laughs) So this particular one said, why don't you go? And like I said, I'll do anything. I'm like, sure, I'll go for three days and contemplate. Like, I don't know what that is. (laughs) That, I would say, cracked open a whole new avenue in my spiritual involvement, whatever you want to call it, the journey. So I did a couple of those. Anyway, it's been in my life for a long time. And a while ago, I was like, I want to be an enlightenment guide. I want to do that. And I never felt ready. (laughs) And I wasn't because to me, someone who is doing that in a way that will be most helpful has been on their journey long enough to get out of the way. Mm, I see. It's not my journey, but I'm holding a container for the people who are endeavoring to do this and giving their all. And that my job is to hold the space and to show what is needed at each moment. Improvising comes in handy. Yeah. <laughs> as we said <Yeah>. earlier. <laughs> Improvising, creating the situation and the contemplation to help people stay on track and encouraging. And even if one doesn't have a direct experience of truth during an enlightenment intensive, it's so healing, as we were saying about healing earlier, when you have for almost half of the entire time, a awakened listener, awakened meaning they're aware. The guidelines help the listener to not comment in any physical or verbal way of what the other said. There's only thank you at the end, no matter what shows up. And that develops the capability for compassion and for openness and for receiving of another, no matter what. So it creates a lot of safety. And I think that's partly why people are able to drop a lot of the stories that might be keeping them from recognizing their true nature in a shorter period of time because they're being held in the space of receiving and then they're receiving another. So it just builds with compassion and equanimity. That's 
the beauty of it. And I'm grateful to be guiding. Oh, 100%. Is this something that could be done virtually or does it have to be in person? It could be done virtually. Oh, great. Yes. So people can join from anywhere as long as they have a good internet connection. (laughs) So to find these events that you're holding for this, is this also on your website? Yes. So great. I'll make sure that the link to sign up for something like that for future ones to come will be in the show notes. I love that we live in this world where we could do things virtually. I feel like it opens everything up. Yes. I understand when things can't be done virtually. I have come across that, but then I also do love when things can be done virtually because it, again, just opened things up very nicely. So Audrey, to help wrap up this wonderful discussion, I was wondering if you could share a message with the listeners. So a timeless message for the time that they hear this episode, if this message could come from whoever or whatever works through you. Mm, Yes. Thank you for asking. The overarching heart sees each and every one of us as completely worthy, completely complete always and already present, awake, aware, and perfect. Well, thank you so much. I love that we got a message about the overarching heart. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to thank you, Audrey, for your time and for sharing your journey and your knowledge with us. I very much appreciate you. So thank you so much. Thank you too. A wonderful time. And that was another episode of a Guided Life podcast. To connect with me via my socials or for links to my book titled Guided or my card deck called From Your Spirit Guides, please visit my Linktree site at l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e forward slash guided west. Thanks so much for tuning in. And until next time, love and light always. I'm Rachel Corpus, an angel communicator, psychic medium, and host of the Angel Talk podcast. This show is meant to help you remember who you are, a limitless being with shoes and socks on. And along the way, we'll connect to people on the other side and experts in the field like authors, healers, animal communicators, and more. Listen to all my shows at Mind Body Spirit FM or wherever you get your podcasts.